welcome to the WFWM podcast. Today we're joined with Tom Gary, who is the women's football reporter for The Telegraph. We're going to be discussing the run-in for the West Midlands women's teams. So, yep, let's um, dive straight into it. So, Tom, just how are you today? Yeah, really well. Thank you both for having me. It's really nice to speak to you. So, um, can you just give us a bit of a background and insight into how you got involved into women's football and your journey um, into the media sector? Yeah, I've been covering women's football um, professionally ever since I've graduated from Birmingham City University about um, uh, nine years ago. Uh, and I, I think um, it's been a, a, a fantastic patch to cover women's football. There's been so many brilliant stories. It's a, a sport that's growing really quickly. In terms of my background, I started at the BBC and then I spent the last three years now with the, the Daily Telegraph and the Sunday Telegraph just covering the women's game for a newspaper full time. I'm very lucky to cover just the women's game. I don't have to juggle it with covering men's football as well. Um, and that's been great because I've been able to cover the England Lionesses. I cover all of the women's Champions League games and lots of the other big WSL matches. So um, it's a real privilege and uh, the sport's fascinating because it's just growing so quickly. And this season, for example, we're in a situation where I believe around 50, 60 people will, will be accredited for the Women's FA Cup final. If you went back, 10 years that would have been a dozen so you know, we go to WSL matches like the one I'll be at tonight Aston Villa against Manchester United and there'll be you know a lot of people there thousands in the crowd and, and maybe 20 journalists if, again, if you went back 10 years you'd be talking one or two journalists and maybe 100 in the crowd so the, the difference is really vast and it's been brilliant to witness it. What did you say you mentioned about covering the Villa United game tonight can you just run down you know a little bit about what a typical match day is like for you in the women's football world oh great question yeah um i suppose it kind of varies depending on whether it's a weeknight night game or an afternoon game but if, i'll just try and speak broadly essentially before the match i'll just try and speak to as many contacts as i can informally just to try and get a bit of information about how the two teams might line up um and most of that might not be things that, I, that might be things I can't report, but it's just useful background, useful research. I'll try and chat with some people and just check there's no late injury news and team news. And then I'll do a little bit of prep. I'll check the stats. I'll check um, their last meetings um, and just check things like how many goals certain players have scored in this fixture and how many goals certain players have over the course of the season. Um, and then just just so that you're not Googling those things during the match itself, so you can keep your yeah. eyes on the match. I'll draft a few paragraphs of sort of the context of what happens if certain teams lose and certain teams win. So, for example, tonight I've just written a few paragraphs that won't be affected by any incidents on the pitch. So just as a draft. So, for example, I've just drafted a few things about what it will mean if Manchester United go six points clear at the top, which is what would happen if they yeah. win the game and a few paragraphs about what it would mean if they drop points against Aston Villa. Um, in terms of the match itself, I'll just try and watch as much as I possibly can. It's so easy to not watch the game. I know that sounds really weird as a reporter, but a really bad trap I, I used to fall into, I think, was maybe just not watching the game. So I'll just try and keep my eyes on the game at all times. Um, and then after um, I'll file an on-the-whistle match report for the Telegraph. On a night like tonight, I'll need to do that quite quickly, very quickly, because we've got the evening print deadline. And right, in fact, okay. sorry, just to clarify, on a night like tonight, Jamie, I'll actually have to file what we call a runner in the newspaper industry, which means that I'll send about three quarters of the report before the 60th minute of the match okay. so they can get that ready. And then I'll just send the top and bottom on the full time whistle. That's purely because of our print deadlines. Um, and then after the game, we'll speak to the managers pitch side, Carla Ward and Mark Skinner. 
grab their thoughts and then put the best of those quotes, weaving those into the report um, and just rejigging it so you can fit the quotes in. And, and usually the quotes might go at the top, so it might be a complete rewrite along the lines of um, Carla Ward says it was the best performance of her team's season after they stunned Man United with a 1-0 win, etc. Um, and then send it off and then and then drive home. It's a lot of time in the car covering the women's game, um, but um, it's a real privilege, yeah. Absolutely, that's uh, very interesting and very insightful to hear. Yeah, Not so to... um, sticking with Villa, they obviously reached the FA Cup semi-final, I think the first time in their history, but, narrow, but were narrowly beaten by Chelsea. How can you reflect on their season so far? Are the supporters satisfied or is there still room for progress and improvement? Well, still room for some improvement, but to be honest with you guys, this is the best season Aston Villa women have, have ever had uh, by yeah. quite a distance. Um, they have proven themselves to be the best of the rest. I think that's the best way to sum it up in terms of they're the best team outside of the, the pre-existing top four that have dominated for a while. And, um, and to, to establish themselves in that position, it has been... Very impressive because I, I think there are other clubs who have craved that that position for a long time and haven't been able to get there. Yeah. Villa have really stepped it up and they, they've played a big role in making this season more interesting because they because they beat Man City um, right at the start of the season and because they've been able to pull off some other good results and knocking Man City out the cup as well, for example. It's just made it a little bit more unpredictable. I think they've added so much to the league. We think about the goals that Rachel Daly has contributed and then their ambition in January to, to kick on and sign Jordan Nobbs, to sign Lucy Staniforth. I think that they've um, they've really shown their intent. I think it's positive for the future. They've got a good manager with, with Carla Ward. And uh, the only way for Villa at the minute is up. That it, it will be a difficult bridge to gap. Sorry, it will be a difficult gap to bridge to get up to the top four. But they're not too far off. And what will benefit Villa is that they're not juggling Women's Champions League football so there is potential, I think, next season for them to get even closer because they won't have those games midweek in the Champions League group stage that some of their rivals will have. So I think I would be going maybe for them to finish fifth again next year, which might seem like it isn't progress, but I think they'll get closer to fourth place than they are this year. And that's got to be a step in the right direction. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Could you give us an insight maybe in perhaps into like the younger talent coming through at the club? Yeah, that's another um, element that's been a really big talking point this season. They'll be gutted to have lost Evie Rabjohn. She's heading out to Manchester United um, on a free transfer teenage superstar for England's youth teams. Um, and because you can't give a contract in the women's game to somebody before they turn 18, they will oh, yeah. lose their compensation. So that's a real shame for Villa. Um, and it's just something that's happened quite a lot in the women's game. Lauren Hemp, for example, was snapped up by Man City from Bristol City before she turned well, on her 18th birthday, essentially, because you, you just can't you can't tie people down in the women's game before they're 18. That's a blow. But there are other good players coming through for Villa. They've got who I believe to be one of the best young midfielders in the country, and Olivia McLaughlin is out on loan at the moment. But as for other players of her age, I believe 17, there's hardly any who have as many minutes of competitive top-flight football as she managed to get for Villa early this season, and as she has done over the last couple of years. And McLaughlin, somebody that a lot of people are talking about, she still needs to develop a lot, maybe physically uh, and in, and just in stature. She's still quite slight and quite small. But all of the technical ability there, the technical awareness is there. The maturity is very good for a young age. And I think people are maybe talking that give it six, seven years, maybe we could be talking about somebody who can slot in and, and replace Kira Walsh for the Lionesses. 
that's the kind of calibre of player that I think Villa have got there with Olivia McLaughlin. Lots to learn, but great potential. Great potential. Yeah, that's, that's great. a high praise right there. Yeah. Yeah, earlier on you mentioned um, Rachel Daly as well. Just how much can you credit her for Villa's progress season and also her work for the Lionesses as well? Yeah, she's had a fantastic season, above and beyond what I think anybody expected. And it's so crucial. We we could, we can't overstate how much you need a goal scorer in any league of football, right? It, you look at yeah. all the teams that are having good seasons in the men's game. Wrexham, Paul Mullin is scoring goals, 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 goals. You know, that's a small example. Harland at Man City, goals, 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 goals. And in the Women's Super League, Bunny Shaws smashed it for Man City. She's been brilliant. But the next top scorer in our WCL this season is Rachel Daly and that's made a massive difference to Villa because they are a threat even when they're not playing particularly well they're still a threat because they've got someone who can put the ball in the back of the net and that's been a real game changer for them because last last season they they were still playing relatively good football but they just were not potent in front of goal they scored hardly any goals last season and that's totally changed they were going along I believe got less than a goal a game last year and now Daly has almost got a goal a game herself. Uh, so okay. let alone the rest of the squad. So it's it's, it's really transformed Villa. Daly's done well. What I've been most impressed with with Daly in England is how, just thinking in terms of the Lionesses in the second half of your question, she's adapted really well to the fact that England wanted her as a left-back last summer and are now deploying her up front. She's always said, I'll play anywhere for my country. She's always said, I don't mind where I'm picked. Um, and she's been true to her word in that sense. She's been a utility player for England, playing at fullback. Uh, and started every game at left back, even though it wasn't her natural position. And now she's up offering up, uh, you know, an extra option as a number nine. And I think that's a real asset for England to have somebody who is such a team player that she doesn't mind where she plays at all, never gives any complaining, never fusses about the fact she might not be in her favourite position. And that's great for Serena Wiegmann. I, uh, it's uh, such a boost to have somebody like that in your, in your dressing room who will do whatever you ask just for the team. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. A great player, great goal scorer. And another player who's been doing very well in front of goal, just down the road at Birmingham City, Jay Pennock. Final game week for Birmingham City, tied for the golden boot. How important do you think she's been to Blues's, well, I say title race, but ultimately that has come to an end. But how important she's been to their late success this season? Yeah, another excellent player. I think she's a WSL player in a championship team. Yeah. Uh, there are a few WSL players in that Birmingham team, but she's one of them. I've always thought she could play at a higher level. Like, she's one of those players who perhaps you could you can't quite see her getting a, a starting place in a top half WSL team yeah. just yet. But certainly for any of the teams in in the bottom half of the WSL who've been struggling for goals, somebody of her calibre would have been hugely valuable this season. Like She's been great. But Birmingham more generally, I think, should be very pleased with, with the with the second half of the season that they've had. It's a shame for a neutrals that that game next Saturday against Bristol City uh, isn't going to have anything riding on it because yeah. that would have been such a blockbuster finale to the league, wouldn't it? The top two going for it, winner takes all for one promotion spot. And I would also say, going slightly off topic from your question, but I would say that Birmingham are unfortunate that there's only one one up, one down. I think a lot of people feel that it should be two up, two down. If you talk to people across the whole league yeah. spectrum, Birmingham won't really sort of make a big fuss about that now because I don't think they want to be, to be seen as sour grapes. They have massive respect for what Bristol City have achieved. And it, it's they're, they're quite a classy outfit in Birmingham City. Women and Dan Carter, I'm sure, just wants to congratulate them. 
But I think behind the scenes, a, a lot of clubs around the divisions and in the third tier and the fourth tier, there's a lot of frustration that it's only one up, one down. And Birmingham are unfortunate there. So I guess my my dream scenario as a neutral in this in this sense would be to have playoffs because um, yeah. you could have a, a, a fantastic playoff uh, format with, with the teams that just missed out with, with, with Birmingham, but also Charlton, London City, Lionesses, maybe Southampton. Good, good teams that could have had a, a, a fantastic playoff for neutrals. And maybe that's something that they'll look at in, in the future in the championship. But um, yeah, they've, they've just fallen short, but they gave it a really good run. And, and that's got to be promising for Birmingham fans for, for next season. Absolutely. Of course, as, as I say, six wins and a bounce. But it's almost, we've only been a 22-game season. There's very little space to slip up at all. And yeah. especially with a team like Bristol City pushing you, you know, right to the end. As you say, it would have been great to have seen that title race uh, go to the final game. Um, as you mentioned also about Darren Carter, how do you think he'll reflect and how do you reflect on it personally, his first full year at Blues back in the second tier? Yeah, I think you can see the improvements that they've been slowly making. Um, it's always good to finish season strongly. Uh, I, I, he's very well liked, I think, um, I think he's made some good signings. I think the, bringing in Joe Potter was a very, very astute acquisition to the coaching staff. Um, he's a nice, he's a nice guy that the players get on with, and that makes a big difference. Um, I think he's still learning as well as a coach. He's still as a manager because it's still, you know, it's still his first sort of big managerial role. Um, but he's he handles himself very well in his media duties. Uh, he's, uh, I think he, he's a good people person for the players they they, uh, they feel they can trust him and they you know they're getting better I, I, as you mentioned there it's sort of there's not much margin for error in such a short season um and they, yeah they just had a little bit of a, a blip maybe autumn early yeah. early winter slowish start that you can't really afford to have uh, if you're going to win promotion but they'll, they'll learn on that for next year it's just been the same in the WSL for Man City they lost the first two games slightly different results but they lost the first two matches of the season and that was almost then out the title race there and then because it's such fine margins in a 22-match season. If you're going to win a title in either the WSL or the championship, you can't afford to, afford to start slowly. But yeah, Darren Carter's done a, a very good job. And I, I think um, there's something building there for Birmingham that, that they'll, be, they'll be thinking they've got a very good chance next season of, of, of going up because I think the core of that squad will stay together. And um, that's got to be promising for, for next season. Definitely. And just finally on on Blues, they've had some very good young players as well. As you mentioned before, Olivia McLaughlin on loan, um, Tara Bourne on loan from Man United, but also their own talent with Abby Jenner, Lucy Thomas coming in in goal. They've got some great young players and you say it looks like the only way is up for Blues going forward. I, I think so. I think inevitably with young players, the when you've got so many good young players that the risk is that they they might be poached by by yeah, bigger clubs in, in quotes but no nonetheless yes that's a really encouraging position to be in with so many good young players Lucy Thomas is somebody that that coaches around the game talk very highly of as a, as a as a future goalkeeping prospect that people are quite excited about and there are many good young goalkeepers at the minute around the women's game in that kind of crop of England um from sort of Emily Ramsey to uh, Hannah Hampton to so many others, but they they do rate Thomas, um, and that's that. I know she made a slight mistake, I think, against Brighton in the Women's FA Cup quarter final uh, with a corner that went in. I think she would have yeah. dealt better with, but that these are all things she'll learn from. 
and um, you know these are positive learning experiences for the future. The other other thing about young players, Jamie, is I think you the reality is in the women's championship you need to have a large number of them in your squad because budgets are relatively small and the senior players, most of them, you know, will be able to attract WSL football um and 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 the kind of wages that 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 will bring with it whereas in the championship inevitably clubs are on a smaller budget they have to they have to look for some bargains they have to and that model of building bringing through young players helps that make that sustainable you know because um if you if if birmingham for example were to try and go out and sign a team full of 29 year olds you just it wouldn't realistically be able to do that and have the same quality so the model of, of using you know the chance to develop youngsters and blend them into a good, promising young team is the right way to go. Absolutely. Some very good points there. Really appreciate that insight there. If you're looking at the same division, you could also now look at the perhaps the strugglers in someone like Coventry United. They've obviously had quite a few financial troubles recently, had some new ownership. What do you think the future holds for them now following their relegation? Yeah, it's a very sad time for Coventry United fans. I think um I think they're short-term future just needs to be to try and to try and stabilize and, and they do seem to be making promising plans for next season but inevitably it's going to be on a, you know a slightly smaller operation because you don't have the income that the women's championship will offer um but they're still in a good place they've got a very passionate uh ownership very passionate indeed very they've got a, a good manager in lee birch you know who i think other clubs will be interested in trying to poach but Nonetheless, assuming that Lee stays, they've got a very good manager there, and, and uh, there is there is a chance for them to come back up. The difficulty with that is that there are so many good teams in the third tier trying to get back up. A little bit what we were just yeah. talking about with a one up, one down. It's so tight to get back up just because there'll be teams that miss out this year who will then be looking to go again next year, and it, they could Coventry could be one of six, seven teams in the running for one promotion place. That's yeah. a really difficult ask. And I think they're going to find themselves up against big Premier League brands quite soon in the third tier uh, as more of the men's Premier League back clubs try and bring through a women's uh, side to the higher tiers. There, there are quite a few. And we'll talk about Wolves in a moment. We're yet to see whether they're going to going to get up, but they, they could be a side in the third tier again next season or Nottingham Forest, both Premier League money backing those those brands and so for Coventry more privately owned independent smaller smaller brand awareness and brand potential it's a big big challenge of but course you hope you hope in the women's game that they can prove that it is possible to sustain an, an independent club we're seeing it it's working at London City Lionesses that they're sustaining that at the moment in an yeah. independent way we it's a slightly different model at Lewis where they've got a lower league men's team but they're sustaining their success with good crowds around the thousand mark at Lewis or above. So it can be done, but it, getting back up is going to be very, very hard just because of the competition they're going to be up against for that one place. That's really interesting um, insight. Um, finally on Coventry, they obviously, teams towards the lower ends of the table, they heavily exploit the loan market. Is that an avenue that you would think they would go down again? I I would, I would think probably, yes. Um, Again, just because there are so many clubs who are keen for their youngsters to to have a chance to develop, and it's a it's a financially astute way of bringing in bringing in players. 
we should also say as well, though, that at, now in the third tier, a, a huge number of contracts are just one season in length. That's still the case in the championship, actually. But most of Coventry's players will now either sign on for next season or not do so. Um, and that's the case for every club that will be in the third tier. You'll sign for a season. So, um, in a way, a loan for a season works out similarly. You've got someone for a year, uh, and that's that will be quite similar to giving someone a one-year contract because that's the world that they'll be living in now. One-year deals, planning year by year, because you won't want to commit to any players to a long, long-term deal just from a financial sustainability point of view in case you, you either do go up and then you've got a different budget again or, or you stay down. So they'll, they'll plan year to year now and, and that will be difficult, but um, it can be done. We've seen it work successfully. We've seen it work well with uh, with Southampton, for example, when they came up all the way through the pyramid yeah. under Marianne Spacey-Kale. Um, they, they managed that season by season plan quite effectively, just developing the team year by year. And, and there is a way of doing it, but yeah, uh, you need to use the loan market if you can, because there, there are some real bargains to be had. Yeah, really interesting insight into the loan market there. Yeah, and also, as you have mentioned previously, a team trying to get out of the third tier and Wolves, again, right, that title race um, going right to the final end. Um, of course, Forest and Wolves trying to fight for that top spot. And ultimately, though, I guess this goes back to the problem with the, the footballing pyramid to some degree. You, either team could win the title and not be promoted. Wolves had that problem and losing to Southampton last year. What do you think that maybe says about the pyramids, especially lower down, third, fourth tier, and ultimately about how that perhaps hinders Wolves' and Forest's promotion hopes? Yeah, it's a fantastic talking point. What we have seen, I think, over the last few years is some bottlenecks developing, whether a team's, not just the third tier, but in the fourth tier and fifth tier as well, whether a team's who are too good for the league that they're in, but they just can't get out because there is not few spaces. I mean, and we look at this, uh, looking at the uh, the third tier, the, the Women's National League North that Wolves and uh, Nottingham Forest are in. If we look at, say, a club like um, Loughborough Lightning, who are, are bottom of the yeah. table, they've not won a single game. And they will go down. Um, that's, that's already guaranteed. And they'll be much happier in, in the fourth tier of, of the pyramid. But that's that's a really a good example of, of how there are, there are teams in, in certain leagues that just are in the wrong league and have been in the wrong league. And it does take time to to get it back to where it should be. You know, conversely, at the end of the table, Wolves and Nottingham Forest have only lost two games each uh, and, and they're neck and neck. And you, and it could be that neither of them go up because they've got to play the the playoff against the winners of the, the Southern section as well. So you could have another situation next season where Nottingham Forest and Wolves and... You know, along with the Burnley as well, they've also been good, I believe, in, in third place, only two points behind them. All three of those teams could still be in that league next year, again, still fighting for the one playoff spot. And that, that's where I think more movement in the pyramid is what so many clubs are asking for. The same, the same, in, the fourth, same in the fourth tier. Newcastle United might not go up. They, yeah. they've, won, they've won most of their games really handsomely. Huge winning margin scorelines. But they're fighting with Durham Sestria for this title. And it, it's not done. It's not a done job. And they, you know, that's another league where you could find one of two teams stuck down who couldn't get up. Um, so it's a real, it's a real challenge. I do think that will change in the future, guys. I do think that they will, the pyramid will evolve. Um, and perhaps 
there is an argument that the whole of the lower levels of the pyramid need a big, a really big sort of recalibration of who should be in which league, who's providing what resources, who's providing what training facilities, who's attracting what kind of crowds, what kind of budget are you operating on? And there might be, it might be that some teams need to be promoted up a division or two and some need to be politely asked to go down because things have changed so quickly in this sport from this being a completely amateur league in the lower levels of the women's game just a few years ago to now having some teams with really big budgets, much more than Wolves and Nottingham Forest, by the way. And Newcastle is the perfect example um, from the fourth tier, you know, um, with 20,000 people going to some of their games. And as I understand it, some players on, on 20,000 a year, which would be much more than the budget of some entire teams in the same league, the whole thing needs just looking at it just to reassess and make sure that everyone's getting competitive football week in, week out. And sorry, I've gone on a very long answer here, but the other thing I would say is that there is a real calling amongst the clubs for the WCL and Championship to be bigger, to be more than 12 teams. And that would open up the space for more promotion spots from from the third tier so that clubs like Wolves, uh, if they do miss out again for yet another year of you know being really, really close, if they do miss out, that they, that they, that they could nonetheless go into an expanded championship where there is great exposure on the women's football show. There is great exposure on the FA player. You get all the marketing that comes with that. You get Conti Cup games against big teams and you can grow the sport really well. So the ideal scenario where I guess I would like to see the WSLN Championship in a few years' time is with 16 teams in each league, uh, which would give teams a 30-match season, 15 home games, 15 away games. Uh, you'd have a beautifully symmetrical 32-team Conti Cup which just works so well for everybody because you can just do a straight uh, 32 round. But also, I think that's the right amount of games per season. I think it's the right number of teams in the championship. And it will be 16 fully full-time teams in the top tier, which I think will be a really healthy place for the Premier to be in. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a, a very good balance there. You, you're not overloading with football. You know, there's a still a decent break, but you're not having these massive gaps just to comment again as well on the third tier and perhaps the quality between the top and the bottom. You've got Wolves at the top. West Brom, who haven't necessarily been in that sort of position. They're not a relegation contenders, really, but sort of just a little bit low mid-table. Um, Wolves, of course, you know, have got done the better in the league. They've also beaten them in the Women's County Cup. What do you think that sort of says... About that, sometimes not not every club is necessarily on a a straight upwards path, upwards trajectory towards success, and and sometimes it takes a little bit longer to sort of find that find the solution. Uh, yeah, I, the, 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 patience is key. I think West West Brom West Brom as a as a football club, men and women, has sort of been going through a little bit little bit of a transition in the last few years. They their women's team. Um, have had some very good results. I've just been a little bit inconsistent, I think. Um, but that that will come with time. I would think the, the the longer they stick together as a group, I think. I mean, well, they've lost ten. They've lost ten games in the league, won seven, I believe. If you want to challenge, really, you need you need to win at least sixteen, maybe maybe seventeen matches out of your twenty-two if you want to try and win the title. Um, so. It's just about turning some of those um, unexpected sort of losses against 
teams in and around the bottom half and turning those into into wins. But with a, with with West Brom, it's so much. I think depends on on what does or doesn't happen with with the men's side. Whether the men can get back to the Premier League, that makes an yeah. enormous difference. It's, it's been huge for Wolves having the men in in the Premier League. It's just that financial stability and the multi millions that come with being in that division, uh, and and that's so. It's sad to see, but the the women's teams, for all of the clubs in the Midlands, the women's team's success does so largely depend on how the men do, um, and so for that reason, I think West Brom fans shouldn't be too disheartened to be much lower than Wolves in the table, just because the men are in a different league, and that makes it very very difficult to to compete on a, on an even keel. Absolutely, yeah, that's a very fair point, and and definitely sort of as you say, sort of plays in how the men's team do and can sometimes play into the women's side. So we're back for the second part of this episode. Since we've had that break and completely and entirely relevant to what we've just been talking about, Tom's got some very important news to bring to us. Yeah, incredibly uh, coincidental timing. But while we were having that discussion about the pyramid of the women's game, the FA have, have made an announcement that subject to ratification from their council, from the end of next season, from the end of the 23 to 24 season, there will be two teams going up from the third tier to the championship and two teams going down from the championship to tier three, which is a really big change. It will, essentially, they are we're removing the playoff game that currently takes place between the southern and northern tier three winners. And both those champions will be promoted instead. That's So just to reiterate, that's from the end of next season. So there are no changes this summer. But it means that if you're um, from the start of from the start of next season, if you win that southern third tier, you'll go up, and if you win the northern third tier, you'll go up. Rather than having to rely on the playoff game that Wolves narrowly missed out on last season, and that Wolves may be involved in again in a few weeks' time. So, um, and two teams going down from the women's championship will create some real jeopardy in the bottom half of the of the championship. So, um, yeah, a very interesting bit of news there. Um, something that I think a lot of clubs in the lower tiers have been calling for for a really long time to try and alleviate that bottleneck of, of strong sides at the top of the third tier and um, a, a real shake-up for the women's game. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that uh, for all the clubs, I think we've talked about, particularly Birmingham City and Wolves, that's going to have a very, very big impact if they're sto- still both fighting for that that title next season. Yeah, and I should stress there's no change to the up and down between the WCL and the championship. Yeah. So um, that's that's interesting that that has stayed at one up, one down. Um, but certainly for teams wanting to go from tier three to tier two, a really course, big change yeah. to their prospects. And, and um, yeah, fascinating now to see how that, that plays out. Um, a lot of people will feel that that's really long overdue. And um, now we just wait and see on the impact, I think, uh, that will be if you're a tier three club from next season, or if you're a tier three, if you're a tier four club now that thinks you're about to become a tier three club next season, your um incentive to invest in your women's program just went through the roof because you've got a much better chance now of, get, of getting up to the championship and joining those uh, those clubs with the with the bigger crowds, the big exposure, and and the, the tendencies that the championship brings, and and so that's um. I suspect what will happen now is we'll see a lot more clubs incentivized to get behind their women's and girls' programmes. And, and I suppose, in a way, that's, that can only be a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting to see. 
Uh, so a team that could perhaps be affected by this remarkable news could be um, Stourbridge, who will now be playing in Tier 3 of the footballing pyramids. So um, Andy Fisher's side, um, how do you think they'll fare next season in the in a tougher division against more of the top sides as they continue their long journey? No, I, th- I think they'll I think they'll do all right actually. Um and I I don't I don't think that they'll um necessarily go up and get promoted. I think that's a really big ask because of what we talked about earlier with some of the the men's Premier League backsides that will that are in those leagues. Um uh, Burnley, for example, they'll be up against we we would think at least one of Wolves and Nottingham Forest. So to try and win the league would be a very, very difficult ask. But I do think they'll be competitive. I think Andy's done a, a very solid job. I think they are um, they're, they're a nice feel-good story because they're, they're actually outperforming still so many bigger yeah. bigger brands, so to speak. You know, um, even if we're just looking, even if we're just looking in the local area, completely outperforming Warsaw, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, which I think they deserve a lot, a lot of credit for. Um, and is it's a nice it's nice to see a, a club with a real community core to it and a, a real yeah. community feeling enjoying success. So I very much wish them all the best. It will get harder and harder to stay in in, in the top three levels of, of the pyramid. The more and more teams invest, as we were just talking about. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, really wish them well. I, I don't I don't think we're looking at a team that's going to plummet straight back down in the way that Loughborough Lightning have lost every game in, in that league. I don't see that happening at all. But, I, I, you know, to be honest, I also don't see them going up and winning the league. And I, that, that's just a realism. I'm sure that they, they're they realistic about that too. Wish them all the all the best. And but for now, they've just got to enjoy it. You know, it's such a happy place to be where they are right now. Just just celebrate, embrace. And, um, and yeah, good for them because so many... People have had the opportunity to build a good women's side at that level and haven't through either a lack of will or a lack of uh, quality coaching or through just underperforming. And so fair play to Starbridge for, for, for succeeding where others have failed. Yeah, obviously uh, Starbridge have had that really good feeling story about them. And alongside their league success, they've also got the Birmingham County Cup final um, against Wolves. Do you think that that's a statement of, of their intent? Perhaps if they were to go on and beat the whole the current holders of the competition, and then uh, and perhaps be a symbolic of their progression and their season and the plans for next season. Well, to beat Wolves in the final would be a huge, huge statement. I um, I think that you know that would I mean that would be a real upset, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> given, given the quality of Wolves. But hey, who's to say? Anything can happen in a final. Forgive, forgive the cliche. I, I think, I think that they. How can I put this? Just, just being in that final is a really good achievement. This is a very prestigious cup. I think we shouldn't forget. Yeah. You know the names of people that have won that cup, the players that have been involved in it. And Midlands football has produced some of the biggest names in this in this sport, from from Karen Carney. To say, even if you look at Laura Bassett, a, bit, a big Villa fan who won the FA Cup with Birmingham, you know the these big England names have all come out of the Midlands, and and loads of lionesses have played in the Birmingham in the Birmingham Cup. So it's a great competition. I, I think Wolves will win the final if we're being realistic. Yeah. But you never yeah. know; they might be distracted. They might be distracted by their by their league uh, uh, exploits and, and going for that playoff if they're involved in the playoff. So you never know. 
but yeah, I think you've got to make Wolves favourites for that. Yeah, of course. They're going to be strong favourites heading into the final. Yeah, and just um, finally, a very difficult question, I appreciate. And I think this ties into what we've just been discussing as well about the change to pyramids. And what we've previously said about how quickly women's football has changed and how that has changed in the West Midlands. For you personally, where do you think and where would you like to see women's football in the next five years or so? Whether that be on the pitch, off the pitch, for the fans, sort of attendances, all those different components that contribute to the rise of women's football. Where would I like to see it? I think where I'd like to see it first and foremost is with matches played at the club's big stadiums. I think the technology okay. is there for the pitches to be sustained over a year with 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 the two teams playing there. It is you know the ground staff and 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 the the expertise around around pitches is at a good enough level now that that you you can have your men's and women's teams both sharing the same home pitch. And for that reason, I would really like to see in five years' time women's teams sharing those those grounds, whether that's Molyneux. I know I know Birmingham women already do it, of course, yeah. at St Andrews. But whether that's Villa Park, whether that's um, Molyneux, whether that's the Hawthorns, I'd love to see that because it makes such a big difference, not just in terms of trying to bring in bigger crowds. Because you, when you play at the smaller grounds with, say, 1,000 capacity, you're capping how many people you can bring in. Whereas... If you're playing at the men's big stadium, you have so much more potential to bring in people. And the facilities are infinitely better for the players and infinitely better for the supporters. Let's take, um, I want to give you an Everton, for example. I know it's not in the Midlands, forgive me, but Everton kind of play at Walton Hall Park. And that's a WSL team. And three stands of, the, of th- three sides of the pitch uh, have no roof wow. for the stand, for the spectators. Um, so you're there on a December night cold night and three sides of the pitch the, the, the fans are standing with you know in the rain with no roof and no seats um and it's it's it, some people might say oh that's great that's real primitive football but how the real proper stuff how it should be real hard hardy football fans out there in the winter months getting cold and watching the game they love but that that that, that, that that's really holding back the growth of the sport because as a, you know even at Chelsea and, and Arsenal when they're playing at Boreham Wood and Kingsmeadow, the fans are using temporary porter cabin toilets. It, 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 and as a fan experience, it's so much better when they're at the Emirates or Stamford Bridge or in the case of the Midlands clubs, say Villa Park. Now, and I'm going to Warsaw tonight. That's, that's actually one of the better grounds of the, of the yeah. smaller grounds that, that the women's Super League teams use at where Villa play at, at, the, at the Poundland Bescott Stadium. It's quite a good facility. That's That's one of the exceptions. But the other teams in the WSL who are playing home games at places like Boreham Wood, like Walton Hall Park, um, the infrastructure is just not there on so many levels in terms of the, the the traffic around the ground, the lack of transport options, the lack of good toilets, the lack of good catering, the lack, lack of VIP opportunities to bring in more money. So I'm going on a bit of a ramble here, but it makes a big difference. On Monday, Arsenal are going to play Wolfsburg at the Emirates and it's on course to be a sellout, you know, 60,000 people at the Emirates for a women's game. And that's a wonderful place for the women's game to be in. So my, yeah, to go back to your question, my hope is that if you, in five years time, we will see a commonplace women's team to share these stadiums because it will bring in more people. And with that, you just expose more youngsters to this sport, to how, what a fun game it is to watch. 
you show more young girls that this is possible they can, they can they can be footballers and they can dream to be footballers and that makes a huge difference in in the society uh, and I'd love to see that I think so many other parts of the game are already there now the professional yeah. coaching is there full-time training is there BBC and Sky Sports TV coverage is there there could be improvements in the media still most media outlets only have one reporter for the women's game that could change that could improve and get two or three reporters or more covering it to get parity with men's football uh, but the platform is there it's just facilities now let's get the teams in the good stadiums at good training grounds not having a pitch that's frozen off in January not having the training cancelled because the pitches are all frozen let's get them good facilities and then you can really take it on to the next level. Absolutely, yeah. It'd be great to see those next steps and continue that progression and, and all aspects. It's been very good to see and hopefully that continues. Yeah. Here's hoping. Well, we, we, we were probably part of that as well. We went to Aston Villa against Leicester in the Super League and it was at Villa Park and we were absolutely so surprised by the turnout and like the fan atmosphere and the engagement as well. It was like a completely bringing in a different audience. It was like a much more family friendly when you compare it to the men's game, and yeah, it was just a, it was a surreal experience, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great to be at. Yeah, it, and the nice thing you probably saw is that there's so much interaction between the players and, and the fans. Yeah. I hope that continues as well. I think that's getting more and more difficult now as some of the bigger name players become more famous and need, I guess, a more security conscious uh, lifestyle, understandably. But for the time being, the access is fantastic. It's great for the fans to meet some of their, their their idols and long may that continue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. So, um, yeah, I was going to say um, a massive thank you for taking the time out and to answer our questions. And uh, we know that you've got a busy schedule with the game tonight as well, so we won't take any more time. But um, a massive thank you from me and Jamie for being part of this project. Absolutely. No, thank you for inviting me. No, great. Really a pleasure to talk to you both. Have a really lovely weekend and good luck with everything you're doing. And yeah, um, here's to a good game tonight between Villa and Man United. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Should be a very interesting one. Very good. Again, Take care, thank guys. you very much. Take yeah, care. Bye-bye.